Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be here with you and be able to come and worship the Lord. And we want to welcome those of you who are online as well as we dive into this passage today. We've been in this series called Radically Distinctive as we've studied the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we're really looking at how God has called us out of this world and to live in his kingdom now. And how that is completely different internally and externally from the world around us. And so each week we've been evaluating these distinctive qualities of what it means to be a follower of God for those who have put their faith and trust in him. So today, as we come to our passage, I want to give you a little bit of a preview of where we're going, because if I'm being totally honest, I haven't quite worked everything out to the degree that I would like to, because I think it's far deeper than I'm able to continue to, uh, to prepare and to present to you this morning. But it's something I've been wrestling with, something that I've been trying to work through, and I think the best way for us to come together this morning as we enter into Matthew 6 is to have just this little preview of where we're heading. So first of all, we need to understand that everything that we're going to talk about today is built on verses 1 to 18, what we covered last week. And what we covered last week had to do with our motive. We learned that uh, outwardly, we can demonstrate, we can model a Christian life that is pursuing God in appearance, while what's going on on the inside is we're doing it for all of the wrong reasons. Reasons like receiving attention from others for our disciplines, for our faith, for our generosity. That it's actually about us getting attention from other people and it's not actually a pursuit of God. It's a false motive. But now as we come into verses 19 through 34, we begin to see how this inward motive that we struggle with affects our day-to-day -day practical living. And one of the things that we often assume in life is that if we can develop healthy habits, healthy disciplines, that it will lead us to healthier places. And Jesus' teaching here seems to say that, that thinking may be correct unless your motive is off base. So in a sense, the question that we have to wrestle with as we go through this is we have to ask, is there some type of subtle, sinful nature that, that it lives in all of us, we know this, right? Prone to wander. Is there something that we have grabbed onto in this world in an unhealthy way? Is there a relationship with some type of material thing that we've, we've clung to a little too tightly and maybe we're not even aware that we've been doing it. What we're going to see is that if our motive is anything less than total commitment to Christ, then what happens is we readily muddy the waters of life and we more willingly, readily enter into whatever our heart desires or whatever we're distracted by. And we move away from the presence of the Lord and we move towards a place of wickedness. Christ is calling us to thoughtfully recognize the ways in which Satan tries to come in the back door. He's trying to help us to see that we're prone to wander and that there's an enemy that is trying to drive us to wander and we are more susceptible to it than we would like to think. So for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, 
We know that he is with us. We know that in everything we do, everything we participate in, we are children of the king. We are God's children. And that is the identity that we are calling to maintain, calling to know in every area of our life, which means this practical life that we're talking about today is meant to be overcome, overshadowed, uh, only known through the context of our spiritual life. They're not two separate pieces. They belong together, and the spiritual is to overcome the day-to-day practical life. So that's where we're heading. Um, Kind of our motto for the day is you are from the king and you are for the king. And we're going to repeat that a few times as we get into this. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 19. But before we read that, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come and to study your word. And in this time, we pray that you'd help us to really identify the ways in which Each one of us personally is susceptible to wandering away from you. God, we pray that you would reveal complacency in our lives. We pray that you would reveal drift. We pray that in this time that you would help us to do a real evaluation of where our heart is. God, we commit ourselves to you in this way, and we pray that you would have your way with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Sorry, in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if the eye is, unhealthy, is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We're going to get into this uh, idea of finances and whatever else, but But we need to know he's talking about more than money here. And I'm going to elaborate on that in a minute. But I want to share this story with you because I think it's just a helpful way of understanding this. I'm aware of a family that uh, when they heard they were going to be receiving some stimulus checks, they decided, uh, the parents, kids didn't get a say, uh, but the parents decided that they were going to collect the different checks that would come in and they would divide it up between their kids and that they would give it to their kids to do with it what they may. And in this, they had one expectation. They had one uh, kind of standard for their kids to follow. They wanted them to know that this was something that they were to use for an investment. And they didn't care if it was an investment in a car, in a college fund, or even a dirt bike. But whatever it is that you choose to invest in, know that this isn't for you to have an endless supply of candy. This is for you to seriously weigh and consider what you would like to do. And really, what the parents got to do is watch the thought process take hold. They got to watch how their kids would choose to steward this gift that they didn't see coming. 
and they would get to see what's on the hearts and minds of the kids in the sense of what is it that they desire? What are they aiming for? What are they trying to acquire? In much the same way, that's our relationship with the Lord. This life is a life that is to be stewarded. The things that I own don't actually belong to me. They're a gift from the Lord for me to steward well before him. And as we do this, what we see in this passage is Jesus is looking at not how well we're able to follow the rule of the law. He's not looking for a bunch of rule followers to be his disciples. He's, he's not interested in that. He's interested in why are you following the rules? He's interested in what's going on underneath the surface. And what he's pointing out here is that we have this uh, prone-to-wander ability where we just really struggle, where, where we drift and we have this propensity to lose sight of who we are and what we're about, and we get caught up in this place where we define ourselves based on the house that we live in, the car that we drive, the job that we have, the friends that we have, rather than understanding that our identity comes from Christ, rather than regularly reminding ourselves that we are from the king and that we are for the king. All of our life, all of our possessions, all of our wealth, it's not owned by us. We are stewards of it, and the Lord is paying attention to the way in which you steward the blessing and the gifts in your life. He's paying attention to how that stewardship is reflective of your posture towards him, reflective of your posture towards the world, and where your focus is directed. Really what we see is that this is revealing as to whether or not our heart is in a healthy or a sick place. It's a tool to help us understand ourselves better. It's not a tool that he uses to evaluate us. He already knows. He's offering this up so that we can use this, so that we can come to this and say, Lord, is this true of me? Where have I drifted? Where have I gone off the rails? And so what we see is because of the motive behind the action, we get to see that's indicative of the health of the heart. And so as we look at this, Jesus demonstrates that he cares about the posture and the health of the heart. Again, he's not looking for rule followers. He's looking for people like David, people who are after his own heart, people who love him, who seek him, who desire him, whose focus is on him. So, as we come to this idea of laying down our treasures on earth and, and laying up treasures in heaven, we need to recognize that Jesus isn't just talking about, oh, you should do this and you shouldn't do that. He's trying to help you understand that you need to constantly evaluate the posture of your heart because of how quickly it can be corrupted. So, he gives us examples of unhealthy relationships with the material world. It's important to note that the, the finances piece is, is not really what he's trying to get at. He says, lay up your treasure. 
And that word treasure is a whole lot broader than just finances. And in verses 22 to 23, we see that Jesus starts speaking of the eye and how the eye is an important thing to pay attention to because when your eye catches something, right, your neighbor buys a new boat and you've never wanted a boat, but now you do. The eye is the lamp to the body. It has a way of fixating on material things. It has a way of turning our attention away from God and towards the world. So let's just walk through a few ways in which we do this. It may be that you have an unhealthy relationship with money, where you just need more, where you're seeking wealth, where you're seeking to have this sense of security in your life and building this portfolio for your retirement years, um, not recognizing that somewhere along the way, your focus has shifted, that the way you handle your finances, the way that you use it, the way that you uh, are generous with it has changed, that over time there's been a tighter and tighter grip and less of a willingness to be generous towards the Lord or towards God's people. Maybe you're kind of like, yeah, I don't struggle with that. Money's not really an issue but the idea of a promotion is still an issue in this sense. The money, the, the pay raise isn't something that you're necessarily looking for or excited about, but what you're looking for is the status and the recognition. The ability to have a new level of authority in areas where you didn't before. And we get drawn into this. For many of us, we actually fall into work, into rhythms of work where uh, we, we go all in. We are doing it to the best of our ability to the point where, again, something shifted. And we begin to define ourselves based on our job rather than who we are. There's an unhealthy relationship with work. Maybe we've come to love the abilities that God has given us. Maybe God has gifted you in a specific way, right? Where, where you just have this incredible ability, and because of that ability, you have over time learned to trust yourself more and more. You've become more independent of God and more self-reliant. That gift that he's given you to steward, to use for his kingdom, to build up his church, to reach out to the community, is being used for your own purposes. Do you have an unhealthy relationship with the way in which God has given you talents and abilities? And this one, I think, is a scary one because it's hard to draw the line. But there's also a place where we can struggle to have a uh, right relationship with our family, where we elevate family to the place where the Lord belongs, where they become our soul focus, our purpose. And what we find is that in this whole thing, we want to make sure that they have everything they need, they get to where they need to go, they're taken care of, they know they can always come to me, and that I will always help them make it through whatever it is that they're going through. And these are all good and right things. We should lead our family in this way. But the problem is when we exalt our family above the Lord, when our family takes priority over the Lord, over the kingdom, to the point where the only way that we 
participate or interact with the Lord is maybe we do our devotionals once or even twice a week and then we show up on Sunday morning. God isn't looking for a fan base to show up on Sunday morning. God is looking for a heart that is committed to striving after him. He's talking about pursuit of him. So as we look at treasures on earth, I think we can define them this way. It's whenever you start looking at the material world to define you. Whenever you start looking at the material world to bring you a sense of fulfillment and joy, right? Not, not that you can't experience joy from um, eating quality food, right? I love quality food. And there are times I have to remind myself to distance myself from quality food. Because when I say quality, I mean a whole lot of salt and generally twice as much sugar, right? But I have to remind myself how quickly I can have an unhealthy relationship with food. And by the way, which of you in this room has struggled with eating unhealthy for a week and then just trying to get back on track, right? Even a week in, we're off course and we're struggling to eat healthy, because we've already created these habits, these cravings, these desires within us. And what Jesus is trying to do is to help us to think with our mind rather than with our desires. And we're going to see this really play out in a minute. But let's take a look at Matthew 6.24. He says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or another word that's often used here is mammon. It's a broader sense than money. And I think really what he's trying to get us to do is to recognize that God is sovereign. That the reason that you are here, the reason you have air in your lungs, the reason that you have been placed here in this time, the reason that you have the abilities that you have, the gifts that you have, the finances that you have, is all because God has blessed you with it, and he's blessed you with it for a purpose. He wants to remind us that we are from the king, and we are for the king, and so when we get distracted, we need to come running back to him and say, no, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is what it means to follow Christ. It is to be focused on him. So Jesus, in this, at the same time, is point blank challenging our notion of pursuit. Because many of us would readily say that we are believers who have put their faith and trust in him. And yet, what we don't realize is Satan has crept in the back door and he has divided our heart by distracting us with food, by distracting us with job, by distracting us with whatever. But Jesus says we have a real tendency to turn towards these material areas of life and to make them a focus to a degree in which they should not be a focus. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you about this idea of blessed to be a blessing, the Abrahamic covenant that God generated. Uh, It was his idea, and he gives it to Abraham, and it continues from Abraham to us today. It's this idea that he wants to meaningfully, purposely pour into your life. 
that he wants to have this ongoing relationship with you where he brings spiritual enrichment, where he helps you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where he is alongside you each and every moment and your focus is on him as you go. And because your focus is on him, he gives you the strength, he equips you with the abilities and the talents to have influence spiritually with the people around you. That there's some form of impact that's happening in the relationships that are horizontal to wherever you are. But what Jesus is saying here, what he's trying to get us to understand, is that what we're doing is we're actually taking uh, all of the fulfillment, all of the filling of this vessel, We're trying to claim everything that he has to offer for us while at the same time we have this fractured flow in that we are pulling in all of the fulfillment that the world can offer. Well, let me just ask you. If you needed clean drinking water and I were to just mix in half a cup of something that's extremely toxic, well, let's just go with bleach. That seems healthy. If you had a cup that was half water and half bleach, are you going to drink that? We think that we can just do a little bit. We think that we can just participate in a little bit of this worldliness over here and not not have to be so strict, not have to be so stringent, not, not have to really take this as seriously. But what we don't recognize is the toxicity that comes with that. And how what it's doing is it's setting us up to lead us in a direction that is going to go to a place we never wanted to go. And so while there may be temporary enjoyment, there may be this temporary fulfillment of some sense, the moment that your priority has shifted, your motive has shifted away from the Lord and onto that thing, even if it's a good thing, there's a toxicity that's building up in your heart. There's an unhealthiness that is spreading throughout. And so Jesus is reminding, just check your motives. Stop and reflect on the areas of your life that you catch yourself giving attention to. And in those areas, are you surrendered to the Lord? Are you inviting him in? Are you living with open hands in a way where you're saying, Lord, I want you to have your way with me, not just on Sunday morning, but also here also in my workplace, also at home, also out in the community. God, help me to live into that. Ask him for his forgiveness for the ways that you've been distracted and walk in his mercy and grace. The beautiful thing about the gospel is we can never get too far from God to turn towards him. He's always ready to forgive. He's always ready to meet you right where you're at and to bring you back before the throne of grace. This is the love of the Father. Let's take a look at these next verses, starting in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, 
can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. As we enter into this section of Jesus' sermon, okay, first, first in 1 to 18, we have this idea of motive, and then we move into uh, that next little section of 19 through 24, and it, it really seems to be motive in pursuit. And now we're coming to this, and Jesus, he, he has a little bit of a turn here, and yet he's still staying in the same direction. He's talking about the way that we've turned to the world, that we've sought the world in our pursuit, and in our pursuit of the world, what we've done is we've actually grabbed something that Solomon demonstrated so well, a great duplicity, that we claim to be Christian, we claim to be children of the king, we claim to follow after him, and yet we still pursue and seek after any type of fulfillment the world can offer. And, and what he's trying to do is show us that when we live in this duplicit state, that what we're doing is we're inviting anxiety in. Because if we go back to that image of the two different um, forms of water flowing into that vessel, there was, a, there was a crack right down the middle of that image. And it's as if the vessel is being pulled apart in two different directions. Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to live this duplicit lifestyle, you're going to be pulled apart. This is going to be heavy on you, and what's going to happen is you're never going to be faithful to one side or the other. You're always going to be bouncing back and forth. You're always going to be compromising. And for the person who isn't a believer, who's just receiving from the world, we know that true fulfillment will never come. We know that it will never come. We've seen it over and over and over again. So as we look at this section, I think it's important to understand that Jesus is saying that he, he's not saying you have a lack of faith if you've experienced anxiety. Okay? He isn't saying that. It's possible to experience anxiety for other reasons. And just for the sake of throwing one out there, there are physiological reasons as to why someone might experience anxiety. Chemical imbalance in the brain is a very real thing. And so he's not addressing that issue. What he is addressing is that we have learned to covet after the things of this world. That we have a continual coveting after the things of this world. So the reality of what he's getting at here is that we as believers need to be very careful about weighing before God 
the things that we do and the reason we do it because of the places that it's going to lead us. So let's just uh, jump into verse 27 here because what we see is he locks into addressing life, food, drink, body, image, clothing, okay? And what's interesting about him choosing each of those is we can walk through those and know that's the same thing we struggle with today. Those are the same things that we struggle with today. And he goes in and all he does to dismantle this whole line of thinking, this whole process of coveting after the world, is he starts asking some simple questions. And as he asks the questions, we already know the answers. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In, in your life, do you believe that total fulfillment comes from food and clothing? He's encouraging us to just stop and to think about this. And the moment that we stop and think about it, we start recognizing the foolishness of what we've done. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We know that we are of more value. We, we've had eternity placed in our hearts. We've been invited to participate in God's mission to reconcile everything to himself. Yes, we have more value. And yet God takes care of them. So shouldn't we trust that God is also going to take care of us? We need to stop allowing anxiety to rid us of our peace because of fear of what may happen. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The reality is that God is sovereign over all. God has already put a set number of days on your life. And your decisions, your attempt to prolong your life, doesn't change God's plan. You are to steward your life. You are to walk before the Lord humbly. You are to try and live out healthy practices, understanding that everything you have is a gift from the Lord, and he's watching how you steward it. But you're also to understand that your days have been set. It's already taken care of. It's already figured out. And with that in mind, you can trust that God is going to get you until the day that he has appointed for you. And so you may go a day or two being hungry. You may go for a season of needing to really step back and to really be intentional about how you prepare. I'm not saying, and I don't think Jesus is saying, that you're just going to have everything handed to you. In fact, if we, if we look at this next section, we can sometimes feel that way. Look at verses 28 through 32. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. And so we turn to him. We keep our focus on him because we know that he's already planned out the days. He's already got it all figured out, and I don't. And so I'm going to prepare in the way that I believe I need to in order to get by. I'm going to live out life in a way where I am productive. We were creative to work, right? Adam and Eve are told to basically be the managers of the Garden of Eden, that they would be the keepers of it. God didn't create us to sit back and to watch the world pass us by and just assume that he would take care of our every little need and that when we got hungry, that food would just fall from heaven every time. He created us to be workers. He created us to prepare. He created us to bring about what we are able to bring about. But in the midst of all of that, he's saying, don't get anxious about the big picture because God already has a plan, and his plan is far better than you can imagine. It is far better for you in how it's going to develop you, how it's going to bring you closer to him, and it's going to draw you into the throne room of heaven. He says, don't get so lost on these material things. But look at verses 33 and 34. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. First he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness righteousness. He is so aware of the way in which the world distracts us, and he knows that we drift. How we sometimes go to deal with an unhealthy area of the heart, and we're working on it diligently before the Lord, and all the while Satan's coming in the back door, and he's drawing our attention somewhere else, and we can never seem to quite be in this place where we're perfectly, totally committed and submitted to the Lord. And if we do, it seems to be only for a few moments at a time. And this is the internal struggle of what it means to be a believer, that we consistently are having to come back and just say, no, I'm going to seek the Lord first. I am from the king and for the king. I'm going to seek the Lord first. He's helping us to see that pursuit of God without surrender is not pursued at all. Then he gives this promise that all things will be added unto you. I don't know what else to say other than God is sovereign. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And we can quickly look around the world and, and we can say, well, why isn't God moving here? Why, why do we see so much struggle in Ukraine? Why do we see so much struggle in Israel? And, and is God taking care of the needs of the people who are there? In, in the midst of everything that's going on, how, how is God at work here? What's he doing here? And we can quickly get anxious about the ways in which we fear that God isn't actually leading in each and every moment. And maybe he isn't actually leading in my life either. It's a rabbit hole that Satan's trying to pull you down. 
And I can readily say to you, I don't know how and why God allows what he does in Ukraine, in Israel, in other places, even in our own homes. But what I know from this passage, what I know from the Bible, what I've seen in my own life is that God is good. He has a plan and he is working all things out for the good of those who love him. And so as we look at this, we have to stop and ask the question, is God not sovereign in Ukraine? Is God not sovereign in Israel, where we look at the tragedies and we can't wrap our mind around everything that's going on, but he can. And he already knows how it's going to play out. He's already at work in the midst of the details. God does not necessarily promise us a long and happy life, but he does uh, give us this time frame where he has set our days. And what we need to remember is that his promises are so much greater. The enrichment that he provides is so much deeper and more valuable than any type of fulfillment that the world can try to present to you. We need to really stop and recognize that this life is not about us, this life is about him, and this life is very temporary. It's very temporary. And Jesus, going, going back to those opening verses, right? Right at the beginning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You can spend your entire life pursuing riches, pursuing treasures, building your kingdom, and making sure that you're going to have a nice, long, enjoyable retirement. But the problem is there's life after death. Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Are you working for God's kingdom? Are you pointing people, encouraging people? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Or are you distracted with the treasures of this world that will come to an end? Treasures that you can't bring with you to heaven. Treasures that you can't in any way have eternal engagement with. You can't receive from them after this life. But what you can do is seek the Lord in such ways to be filled by him as a vessel. You can surrender the the realities of this life, the realities of this world, in a way where you just say, God, have your way with me in this time, in this place. Help me to be dead set on you and focus after what it is that you have for me. Help me to live the life that you've called me to live in every aspect. Don't let me drift. Don't let me get distracted. Don't let me actually pursue the world. Help me to just pursue you. There's a difference in the temporal and the eternal. And the eternal doesn't start when we die. It's already started. And what you do in the temporary life has massive impact on the eternal. And so that should give us a sense of urgency for seeking after the Lord. It should give us a sense of desiring him in each and every moment. It should give us a sense of choosing to be single-minded about this life and being diligent to steward every blessing that God has given us well.
So I want to close in this way. Um, in this chapter, Jesus starts by talking about these underlying motives that we have. And again, he's not interested in rule followers. He's interested in the health of the heart. And so what we see in this is he's actually developing a tool for us to check ourselves. He wants us to be able to consistently shift and recalibrate around him, knowing that we consistently drift. Knowing that each day that we don't come before his throne and ask him to lead and to guide us, that there is a great chance that in the course of that day we will drift from his throne. And so he's, he's very aware that Satan's at work here. He's very aware of the ways in which we've become materialistic and the ways in which we've continued to strive after the world. From this conversation of pursuit, what Jesus is doing is helping us to identify some of these symptoms and to work backwards from there. If you're dealing with these anxieties, there's a good chance you need to stop and ask, where's the duplicity? Where's this coming from? Where did this originate from? Where, what's the root issue? And as we learn to do that, as we learn to use this tool, as we learn to rest, wrestle with this posture of our heart, with the health of our heart, to consistently step back and to say, I'm not so interested in building my kingdom, but I'm sold out for building his kingdom. We're going to find how to use this tool effectively, and what we're going to find is that we have a radical pursuit that has great impact in the lives of around us. And so as we go from here this morning, I want you to know that you have been placed here, sent here, and prepared here, and you have been, that has happened by the king, and you are here for the king. So how are you living out his purposes? How are you entering into what he has for you? Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to study your word and we do pray that you would guide us and you would lead us. We pray that just as we've learned from this passage, that we would learn to lay up treasures in heaven. We would learn to be focused on you in such a way that we keep our gaze on you in all that we do, keeping that understanding of identity that we are your children, that you have placed us here for a purpose, and that we need to constantly be in motion towards you. Lord, help us to learn to evaluate ourselves well. Help us to ask questions like this that get us thinking about why we do what we do. And are we meaningfully pursuing you or are we just in a place where we're complacent? Lord, help us to trust that you are sovereign over all. Help us to trust that your plan is good and perfect and that we can follow you whether we feel like it or not, whether we're in a struggle or we're on the highs of life. God, we pray that you would help us to keep our focus on you, to be submitted to your will and humbly walking in right relationship with you. We commit ourselves to you in this way, in your name. Amen.